0: Glorious, so our reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 6, so if you have a pew Bible in front of you, you'll want to be on page 8, um, and we're reading from verse eight, uh, 9, in fact. Genesis chapter 6. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how the corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on the earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good evening, St. Pauls. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great month's worth of placement here. Tonight is my final evening. It's always a dangerous thing to invite someone to come for a month, give them a preach on the last night, because they can just wander off into the sunset, and it doesn't really matter. So any complaints to Jonathan, not to me, as I won't be here. Um, It's quite freeing, actually. Um, A little bit about me, Uh, I'm training to be a vicar down in Cambridge, I'm married to a lovely girl called Rebecca, and we have a little nine-month-old boy called Theo. Now Theo doesn't sleep, in fact he's driving us slightly insane with his lack of sleep, but he is very cute, so that doesn't really matter, I can Instagram pictures of him and it just about makes up for it. Um, But before we begin, let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have spoken to us through your written word. Would you be very present now by your spirit so that we can meet your son in your scriptures? Amen. Fantastic. So here we are right at the beginning of the story of humanity. We're only eight pages and about ten generations in to the start of everything. I just want to take you back a little bit, right to the very start, right to the beginning of the book of Genesis, chapter one, verse one. We read, "In the beginning, the earth was formless, was a formless void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the deep." We then read of how God creates light and dark, sky and earth, land and sea, night and day, fish and bird, animals and humans, and each time He looks upon what his, He has created, He says, "It is good." except when he creates humans and he says, it is very good. And the story of this humanity, of these first people, of Adam and Eve, then continues. God gives them boundaries for living. He puts them in a garden with all that they need, everything they could ever want, for food, for sustenance, with only one caveat, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only command to be obedient to. But we know how the story goes. The snake tempts Eve and she questions what God has to say and she disobeys. And Adam eats it and he disobeys. And the story goes on to tell us that when God is walking in the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve are afraid and ashamed and they hide themselves from God. They wouldn't walk with God and God finds them, and they're naked, and he chucks them out of the garden. And some more stuff goes on. Cain kills Abel. There's a whole bunch of really, really, really old people, like 969 years old, almost as old as Jonathan. And then we get to where Noah is now. But why am I telling you the story of creation? It's about Noah. We've just read Genesis 6, not Genesis 1. Because the story of Noah is set up is the antithesis of the story of Adam and Eve. In the story of creation, we read that the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. In the story of Noah, we read that the earth was corrupt and covered with violence. In the story of creation, we read that God saw that it was good, 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 very good. In the story of Noah, we read that God saw that it was corrupt. In the story of creation, we see that God says, let us make humankind in our image. In the story of Noah, we read that God says, I am going to put an end to all flesh. In the story of creation, we read that Adam and Eve hid from God as he walked in the garden. In the story of Noah, we read that uh, Noah walked with God. But Noah's story isn't the one we think we know. It's not the story of some animals going in two by two, hurrah, hurrah, into the ark. It's not the story of a rainbow. It's not just the story of a family and a boat and a whole ton of water. And it's so much more than the simple Sunday school fuzzy felt pictures you might have made. And the story doesn't even end that well. If you flick on a little bit more, just after they've got off the ark, Noah plants some grapes, makes some wine, gets drunk, gets naked, and exposes himself to his sons. It's not exactly the heroes of the faith thing that you're looking for if you want to model your life on someone. You see, none of the heroic stuff Noah does is because of Noah. Not the boat, not the animals, none of it. It's God who chooses to have favor on Noah. It's God who gives him the plan for the ark. It's God who brings all the animals. It's God who shuts him in the ark. It's God who sends the rain. It's God who keeps them safe during the flood. It's God who purifies the earth. It's God who remembers Noah in the ark. It's God who causes the waters to recede. It's God who calls Noah out of the ark. It's God who blesses Noah and his sons. It's God who creates the covenant to never block out human life again. And it's God who gives us his bow and the sign of his promise. It's all God. The only thing that Noah did was say yes to God. His faith is expressed as obedience. He says yes and he does it. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells it like this By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, that is, in keeping with faith. Noah absolutely trusted God and was obedient to his call. And you'd have to, wouldn't you? To obey the command to build a whacking great boat in the middle of the desert, a boat big enough to contain not just every, a pair of every animal on the earth, as we read, but if you flip on a little bit, it's also seven pairs of every clean animal. Sometimes it's hard to get our heads around how big this boat really is. It's 135 meters long. That's about six times the length of this church to the doors back there. It's 23 meters wide and 14 meters high. This isn't a little rowing boat. This is a huge boat. And you've got to remember, he's not doing this with power tools either. He's doing this with a hammer and a chisel and probably a very unsharp saw. It would have taken him years, day by day, toiling away, getting the timber, shaping it, starting with the skeleton of the bow, adding the outer walls, adding the three floors, adding the top deck, adding the roof, adding the door, all to how God told it to do it. And you've got to imagine, he will look pretty stupid doing this, toiling away for years on this massive project, this giant white elephant. And you can imagine the conversation his neighbors will have with him. What are you doing, Noah? Building. Building what? A boat. Didn't know you like sailing. And it's not a sailing boat. It's an ark. Why are you building that? Because there's going to be a flood. A flood? It's not rained for months. God's going to send it. He would have looked really, really stupid. Yet, he obeyed. You can imagine people coming to gawk at this guy building a huge ark near no water. Yet, he obeyed. Some scholars estimate that it took between 50 and 70 years to build. That's a long time and a lot of splinters. Yet, he obeyed. And this is the craziest bit for me, never mind building a whole boat. Once you've sort of got on board with the boat thing, it's quite easy to build it. After he finally finishes it, so he's finished the boat, God then tells him to take his family inside the ark, along with all the animals. God then shuts the ark, and it doesn't rain for a whole week. Can you imagine his sons and their wives inside the ark? Now, I like my in-laws, but I'm not sure I would spend a week in this smelly, dirty, noisy boat just because my father-in-law told me to. Yet he obeyed. Noah's life is marked by faithful obedience, by a commitment to doing all that the Lord has called him to. And because of it, he and his family were saved from the flood of God's judgment to be heirs to the rainbow promise of God. Now, please don't hear me wrong. Please don't think that by doing all these things, it says that Noah was righteous. It's not the doing of the things that made Noah righteous. It's not the building of the ark and getting on the ark a week before it starts raining. It's not his obeying what God tells him, but rather it's his faith in the Lord that makes him righteous. Because he, because he trusts God, he obeys. He doesn't know that the rain is gonna come. But he trusts that when God says it will rain, that it will rain. He hasn't seen the rain come, yet he builds the ark. He hasn't felt the first spots of rain, yet he gets on the ark. He trusts God, he has faith that God's word is sure, and so he obeys. He does the opposite of Eve at the tree and later Adam in the garden. Rather than questioning what God has said and then choosing not to believe God and disobeying, he trusts God, chooses to believe, and obeys. And it is that faith which is credited to him as righteousness. Now, it can feel like we're a million miles away and a couple of millennia detached from Noah. But in reality, we're not that different from him, his contemporaries, and the culture he lived in. We like to think of ourselves as more developed than those who lived thousands of years ago. We might be able to dress ourselves a little better, get to places a little faster, eat a wider range of foods, post photos of cats and babies on Instagram, have more TV channels, and a whole host of other things. But we haven't really progressed. This is an idea that C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, the idea that we have progressed socially, morally, and emotionally from those oafs that have gone behind us. You just look around us. A survey last year showed that the majority of people in the UK think society is broken. And it's easy to see the poisonings going on in Salisbury, the rise of homelessness and in work poverty, a couple of months ago, the ca- collapse of Carillion due to some dodgy accounting, and a thousand other little things we see around us. Society is broken, it's corrupt, it's evil. And it's very easy to go, yes, out there is broken and corrupt, but it's also in here. We're just as broken as society because we are society. Just like God looks down on the world Noah inhabited and grieved, God looks down at our world and grieves. He grieves at the evil in our world. We like to kid ourselves that we are a bit like Noah. Noah the only righteous one in a world of evil. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a surname that I'm not sure that's how you pronounce, a Russian novelist during the communist period, imprisoned in a gulag, wrote this in his book, The Gulag Archipelago. He said, if it were only all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Each of us is just as broken as the broken world we're in. We're just as corrupt and full of violence as Noah's contemporaries. We just don't like to admit it. And God looks on his creation and mourns the violence and anger, the corruption and evil that is around us and in us. We are just as disobedient as Adam and Eve. And just like Noah's situation, there is a coming judgment from God, a coming destruction of evil. For Noah's world, it was a flood that would destroy all flesh, except for that which was faithfully obedient to God's command, Noah and his family. For us, it's the judgment that will happen when the Lord Jesus returns. And just like Noah is saved from the flood due to his obedient faith, we are saved by Jesus due to our faith that will be credited to us as righteousness. But rather than our obedience counting, it's Jesus' obedience that counts for us. Jesus perfectly obeyed his heavenly father by leaving his glory, coming down out of love, living a life in perfect relationship with God, dying the necessary and obedient death, and rose again to new life so that those whose obedient faith is in God can find salvation from the coming judgment a new life through the resurrection of Jesus Noah obeyed God before the came, rain came if Noah had listened to God but not believed him and only started to build the boat at the first sign of rain it would have been too late The boat took 50 years to build. The flood from the beginning of the rain to them disembarking only took a year. He would not have had enough time to obey God's call if he had left it till when the rain was coming down and the floods were coming up. He had to obey God in the dry so that when the storm came, he was safe. And this is true for us too. It's no good thinking, I'll just see if it's true. I'll just see if this coming judgment really is true. We need to obey in the dry so that when the rain comes, we're safe. And this works itself out first and foremost as following Jesus as Lord in obedient faith. It's no good waiting for Jesus to return and then deciding to follow him. Rather, it's necessary to trust God in the dry before the day of judgment comes so that when the floods really do come, you are saved. But it also works itself out in a myriad of practical ways in our lives as we follow Jesus. Let me give you just two examples. Money. The Bible tells us that all good things come from God, including the money in our pockets and in our bank accounts, whether that's a little or a lot. God then calls us to offer back to him the first fruits of this, often recognized as 10%. You might have a different number. It can seem foolish if you're at the start of your career with student loans to pay back uh, and a whole bunch of other um, drains on your finances to give God his tithe. But it's what God calls us to. It's easy to think that when I'm making the big bucks, then I'll be able to give God back more. But God calls us to faithfulness in the dry when you're making little When there's not a lot of spare cash, to be faithful in the dry so that when the rains come, when the floods come, you have good habits and you'll be safe. Or in terms of priorities, it can be easy to only go to God when life gets tough and you need Him to intervene in a powerful way. And He does do that. But how much better is it to be obedient in the dry? When life is good, when life seems easy, and spend time in prayer and the scriptures so that when the rains come, and they will, you will have walked faithfully with the God who walks faithfully with you. And there'll be a thousand other ways that this works itself out in your life. And I don't know what it looks like for you, but God is calling each and every one of us to be obedient to his will for our lives. Friends, let me close by saying this. Doing the right thing doesn't save us. Giving God lots of money or reading our Bible or not looking at certain things or doing a whole host of other things doesn't save us. Rather, we're saved by Jesus' obedience to death, even death on a cross. We're saved by his defeat of sin and triumph over evil. We're saved by his resurrection. And that's what sets us free from the effects of our disobedience. As we trust in God, As we say yes to his offer of new life in Christ, we begin to walk with him, to trust him, to hear his voice. And our faith that Jesus is all we need begins to be expressed as obedience. We serve him because he first served us. We love him because he first loved us. We obey him because he was obedient to death for us. So, may you have the faith of Noah to build whatever God is calling you to. May you have the obedience to build in the dry. And may you know the love that Christ has for you even when the storms come. So, we stand and I'll pray. Just take a moment in the stillness now to listen for what God is saying to you. It might be helpful if you shut your eyes and hold out your hands. That does nothing magical, but it's just a posture of openness. Father God, I thank you that you are here by your spirit. Father God, I thank you that you saved Noah and his family. your plan to rescue them it was your plan to keep them safe I thank you that you made an everlasting promise never to wipe out humanity again I thank you that through Jesus we are safe from the coming judgment God would you help us to be obedient now would you help us to hear your voice would you help us to be aware of what you are calling us to? Would you speak to us now about the thousand different ways to become more Christ-like?
2: I'm just going to carry on being still for a moment and just... Uh, allowing God to take these truths deep into us. If there are particular things you need to sort out with the Lord, now's a really good time to do that. Maybe for some it's an area of obedience, as Chris has been preaching. Just in the quiet, confess what's wrong and ask for God's grace to learn to obey his way, the best way. maybe other things going on we started the service thinking about the dry weather and some of us feeling very dry inwardly we pray Lord that in this time you'd pour the fresh rains of your spirit down and bring refreshment to those who are dry and relationship with you restored And we ask if there are particular things you're calling particular individuals to do that you would speak and bring those things to mind just as you called Noah very specifically. There may be some among us you're calling to leave one thing for another thing. Tonight may we hear that. And for all of us, give us grace to lift our eyes and follow your way, the way you've made us to follow moment we're going to sing together, but if you'd like someone to pray for you about any of those things as the band start to play, you're welcome just to come and stand at the front, either on the left or the right, and members of our prayer team will stand with you and pray with you. Uh, we'd love to offer that chance if you'd like that. But for all of us, God calls us to step out the next step. Uh, very appropriately on this Noah Sunday, we're going to sing the song Oceans. He calls us out beyond our depth to trust him. Let's look to him. And Lord, as we sing, pour your spirit down and minister to us. If you'd like someone to pray with you, just come to the front as we sing, and we'd love to do that.